ministering. And I remember this one person came forward, and I went to place my hand out to pray for them on the forehead, and they moved backwards. And, and as they moved backwards, I moved forward. And as I backed up, they came forward. And as I moved forward, they came backwards. I, I've never had this happen to me since. And I, I began to start thinking, this is cool. I, I, yeah, I'm in the middle of ministering, and I'm going, this is pretty cool. And I was thinking, I wonder about if I move my hand this way, if they'll go that way. And when I move my hand this way, they'll go that way. You know, I'm serious. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, you better watch out. It's not about you. And I backed off. I quickly came to the person, and I put my hands down, and they held my hands. We prayed for them. Boom, they were gone in the Spirit, whatever. And I realized the Spirit corrected me right in the middle of this thing. Are you with me? And I realized I, <laughs> because of what God was doing, I began to start thinking, I can do this. It's not about me. It's about him. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about him. It's about him. So when, in, in Romans 12, 3, when he says this, for though the grace has been given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think. But here's what he says. But to think so as to have sound judgment. How do I think? Is to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do have the same function. Turn with me to, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. So, do not have. Did I say do? See, you guys just give me grace and mercy when I read something wrong, and I thank you for that. Galatians chapter 6. I've had people get mad leave the church because I read something wrong. Galatians chapter 6. I got to Ephesians, and then I got to go backwards. Look at verse, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting, not, for, for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Psalms 126. Is it okay if we get into the Word of God today? We came to church. Let's get in it. Psalms 126. I got verses 2 and 3 here. Oh, this is awesome. This was a time where Israel was in captivity. And they were coming out of captivity. Remember, David would sing songs, and, and, and they, would, they would, a lot of the psalms that are written were songs of, of adoration, were songs of victory. And verse 2 says, Our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with joyful shouting. And then they said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for them. Verse 3, the Lord, say the Lord, has done great things. They were not taking the credit themselves. They were giving the credit to the Lord. It's not about you. It's about him. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. It's about it's not about you, it's about him. It's about giving the credit to God. 
If whatever we do in word and deed, we do it unto the Lord Jesus Christ and there's success, there may even be failure in the midst of it. But how many of you know out of the midst of that, God can bring blessing? How many of you know that out of the midst of a failure situation, you can look at it and say, wait a minute, it's a failure, it's a bad deal. But how many of you know if you're willing to, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will begin to teach you some things through it and you'll be stronger coming out the other end. Somebody say amen. You've you've realized that you've had those opportunities, we've done those things, and we've said, you know what? When God begins to move, set free, deliver, heal, all those different things, bring forth compassion, move in your heart. It's not about you, it's about him. And they were saying, the Lord has done great things for us. All I want to tell you today is, the Lord has done great things for us. Amen? Let's give him some praise. Amen? He is worthy. The Lord is worthy. He has done great things for us. So as you continue to grow and as you continue on your path, as you continue on your journey, as you continue taking one step and then another and then another and then another, and there's times where you don't even want to take another step and you finally get up and you move forward and somebody says, man, how did you break out of that? Man, how did you get away from that? Man, how did you were down here and now you're up here or now you're moving forward or you're no longer in this area in your life and 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 light has shined in that area? Don't take the credit. Say, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. So there's a couple things that I I wanted to share with you about the things that we needed to stop doing. And number one was focusing on yourself. Number two was taking yourself seriously. I'm telling you, there are times I've been taking myself too seriously, and God has dealt with me on that. Let me give you a couple things that we need to start doing. You want this? That after 10 years that, that we realize that we need to really begin to start shifting into, and the first thing is, is that you need to put the team first. We need to put the team first. Start putting the team first. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. I'll tell you the page number when I get there. 1792, those of you that have a Bible exactly like mine. It's the Holy Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verses 19 through 23. Just follow along with me as we read them here today. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I become as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but shall be under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Say good news so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Wow, Paul was a team player. 
He said, you know what? I'll operate like a Jew if I need to get the Jews saved. I'll operate like a Gentile if I need to get the Gentile saved. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and, you know, take shots and do drugs in order to get them people saved. I'm not telling you to do that. Paul would not do that. Jesus did not do that. All right, I'm not telling you to do those things. But there may be some times where we have to change our terminology. There may be times where we need to talk. Isn't it amazing? Uh, I visit with people in the oil field, and they've got their own way to talk. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Some of y'all are thinking, yeah, I've heard it. They're like them sailors, oil field and sailors. They're in the same boat, you know. Now, I wasn't talking about that. But you know what? Teachers, they have a certain way to talk. Scientists have a certain way to talk. Christians have a certain way to talk. Well, there's times where I might be in, 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 an, in an area where if I say, Praise the Lord, holy Lord, you are worthy. They'll be going. Businessmen have a different way to talk, men and women. Are you with me? Designers have a different way to talk. Musicians, they have a different way to talk. They, you know, they, talk, they talk differently there. Sometimes, and it's, it's amazing how different areas have different terminology. It may mean something different to us, but it's different. And they have a different way to talk. So Paul was a, a team player. He was, he was a tremendous team player. So we, we need to have a couple things that we start doing. And number one is we've got to put the team first. Flip with me over to chapter 10, verse 33, right over the next page. Verse 33 says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. For the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Look at verse chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verses 4 and 5. We need to be team players. Team players. Verse 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Verse 5 says, Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Doesn't seek its own selfish desires. How many of you know in a marriage, we've got to be team players. If I'm going to be the, the lone man and, and, and I'm going to be in trouble in my marriage. Are you with me? Those of you that are, that are married many, many years can impart so much to us. But I think one of the things that you would impart to us would be you've got to be a team player. You've got to communicate with each other. You've got to give and take. You've got to, you just can't have your way all the time, every time. We've got to be a team player. Say team player. And that's not only in everything. That's in, in, in just about every walk of life. We've got to be a team player. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and let's look at verses 3 and 4. Just keep going to the right, Second Corinthians, and then you run into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but I have fallen short in that area. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but the interests of others. The interests of others. The interests of others. So the first thing we need to do is we need to be a team player. We need to start operating as a team. The second thing that we really realized when we began to be team players is that we really felt like that I've learned that I needed to start adding value to others. Start adding value to others. Start adding value to others. How can we teach, preach, prophesy, and and deliverance ministry, and compassion ministries, and outreach ministries, and missions? How can we begin to put value into your lives? How can we begin to do that? And I began to realize that there was, there's three things that I, that I want to give you today. See, when we turn and stop focusing on ourselves, we turn and start focusing on others, you can add value to others. And the question that I'm going to ask you today is, are you adding value to others? Are you adding value to others? Husbands, are you adding value to your wives? Wives, are you adding value to your husbands? Those of you that are single, are you adding value to friends or family around you? Are you with me? Are we adding value to others? Number one, the the first thing I think is that in order to be able to add value to others, we've got to put others first in our thinking. We've got to put others first in our thinking. When you're driving down the street and you see somebody that's pulled over on the side of the road and they have a flat tire... Are you thinking about yourself or are you thinking about them? I'm not bringing condemnation here today. What I'm saying is because there, you might be having an appointment and it might be a very important meeting and that you may have to drive by there and not help that person because of whatever circumstances that you're dealing with, but then begin to pray for that person and ask the Lord to send some angels, amen, to help them and ask the Holy Spirit as somebody else to drive by that that's somebody else's blessing that they may be able to receive and that that person We'll be able to do that. So we need to put others first in our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be to conform to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we, we've got to put others first in our thinking. We've, we've got to add value to others by, by putting them first in our heart, I mean in our mind, and then our heart will also follow. If you can do it there, you're going to be able to have it here, and it's going to create movement. Many of you may not realize revelation drops from here to here and it creates movement. Say movement. Say movement. I got an idea. Something happens. She's in need. God, are you going to use me? We talked about this in the men's meeting last night. God, are you going to use me? You're going to use Nehemiah to do something. And all of a sudden it drops to revelation and revelation creates movement. And I move to meet the need. Instead of just saying, I got this wonderful revelation. What are you going to do with it? James says, faith without works is. So we've got to have this revelation, then do something with it. Some of you, I got a revelation not too long ago about not, say not too long ago, probably about eight, nine years ago. And one of the revelation was, is I needed to drink more agua. I needed to drink more water. Now I can have this revelation and do something with it, or I can have this revelation and still continue to drink pop and all this other stuff. Are you with me? 
But to me personally, that was my revelation that I needed to shift from having 35 Cokes a day to having one or none and having water. Say revelation. Do you understand? I mean, sometimes it's not just a big thing in the clouds, but it's something to say, you know what? I need to do this so I can have a better quality of life. Jerry Brace is one that got a revelation of exercise and walking, and he does it all the time. In fact, the other morning, I was out at 4 o'clock in the morning, and there he was walking. Was it 5, 4, 10, something, 5, 4, 35, 5? It was early. Driving down the street, and I look over, and there's Jerry Brace out walking. He's got a revelation of exercise. Are you with me? So we have to realize that we got to put others first in our thinking, and then we get this revelation, then we're able to do it, and it creates movement. There's actions there. The second thing is that we need find out what others' needs. Find out what their needs are. What are their needs? How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You're not doing fine. I can tell you're not doing fine. And a lot of times, church, we come in and we put on a good face, and there's some people hurting couple Wednesday nights ago when the Spirit of God was moving and we had people just come and give cash at the altar, God met needs in this congregation. And then the people came up and they got their electric bill paid, they got their rent bill paid, they got their, you know, phone bill paid, all these different things that, you know, whatever it might have been, God began to meet the needs. And then I've had people say, well, why you do that? Because then when the people that get the money, they don't come back. It's not about that. It's about me being obedient to what God wants to do. It's shifted from me to them. And you can't say that if they never come into this church ever again, that they won't sometime in their life saying, you know what? God met my need that day. God used the church of the living God to meet my need that day. So we've got to shift in our thinking, and we've got to say, what is it that you need? What are, what are those needs? Not just once. Because we have been, we have, we have turned people down by helping them because they wanted us to pay off their pawn shop bill. It's not happening here. Are you with me? It's not going to happen. So make sure we understand all of it. So we have to realize and understand that we need to find out what they need. And I am shifting into being able to listen better. I, I am guilty. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's guilty. Tell him, say, he don't listen to me sometimes. Come on, tell him, say, I've been trying to tell pastor some stuff, but he don't listen. Go ahead, tell him, say, he don't listen. It's okay, I'm giving you permission to tell him that I don't listen. (laughs) So I need to shift there. I need to shift. Not only do I need to listen, I need to hear. Because faith doesn't come by listening. Faith comes by. My wife will sometimes say, are you listening? Are you listening to me? And I'll have to say, honey, I hear you. Take out the trash. I got it. Not tomorrow, today. Within the next 10 minutes, because the trash day is today and he's coming today, I hear you. I'm not just saying, honey, I'm listening. Because I can tell her all the time watching television. Sitting on the computer. Are you listening to me? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. I'm telling the truth, you know. We men have selective hearing. 
hearing. And the women, they have some selective hearing too. But either way, we need to be hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we need to find out what others need. Amen? It's okay for joy in the house to come. The third thing is meeting the needs with excellence and generosity. Meet it with excellence and generosity. Well, what do you mean? Well, when guys, when you put the tire on the car, tighten the lug nuts. When you get done, just don't say, okay, I got the tire on. You got to put the tire in the trunk. I'll see you, ma'am. Do it with excellence and generosity. I had an example years ago of the Good Samaritan that met the needs with excellence and generosity. In other words, took care of the needs of of the, the guy that had been left for dead in the road, took him to the hotel in and said, look, bandaged him up, took care of him, and went down there and said, look, here's enough money for the next few days for him to stay there. And I'm going to be coming back in a few days, and if it's not enough, I'll stop by and make it right. I want to get to that area. I want to get to the point where we're able to meet the needs with excellence and generosity. This step requires concrete action. You got to do something. We've got to do something. What can we do? How can we do it? How can we help? We've had many of you, and thank you very much for contacting us and letting us know some of the needs that are in homes and communities uh, around this area. And we've been able to be very proactive and been able to put clothes in people's houses. We've been able to put food in people's houses. We've been able to put furniture in, in people's houses. We've been able to do those different things. Well, I didn't know we were doing that. That's because we don't go around bragging about it. Come on, somebody. So that's one of the things that we've learned. We've been very generous. Well, how come you're so generous with this person? There's times where we can only go so far, and then after that, the Holy Spirit's like, you're done. Don't be their supply. I have to be their supply. And again, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about, who's it about? Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Luke was a physician. He met the needs. Traveled and ministered with Paul. Paid his own way. Paid Paul's way. Probably paid many others' way. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. This is where Jesus sent the 70 out two by two. In Luke chapter 9, he sent the the 12 out to uh, sent the 12 out and he told them to preach the good news of the kingdom and in Luke chapter 10 he sends the 70 out and he gives them the same message at the 12 and he says I want you to go preach the good news of the kingdom verse 9 and heal those who are in it who are sick and say to them the kingdom of God has come near to you but whatever city you enter they do not receive you 
Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to your feet, be wiped off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Let me go back to verse 1. I'm reading. (laughs) I read verse 9 and 10. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't it. He said after the Lord, he he appointed 70 others, and he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carrying no money belt, no bags, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, say, peace, shalom, to the house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if it not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the laborer is worth his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Verse 8, whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat what is set before you and heal those in it that are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God is near. God can use you. God can use you. Let me say it again. God can use you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you matter. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, you matter. You're important to God. Come on, tell them you're important to God. You are important to God. God can use you. God can use you right where you're at. He can use you in the situations that, that he's wanting to bring across and into your life. God can begin to use you. And there's a lot of times where we may think, wait a minute, I don't know if God can use me. Do we have that video? Do we, can we do that? Do you think we can do that? Do you? We're going to try this again and see if, if we can play this video. <laughs> this is a point where he had just gotten through a conversation with the football coach and said that his life was really worth nothing. He's leaving the school for the last time. Now, what is that? Um, I don't know. What, you can't hear what's going on in the auditorium? Oh, yeah, I, I, I hear it. Well, there's something going on in here. This is supposed to be. Well, it could be some program. No, the summer program don't start for another couple of weeks. Settler, a 
wouldn't have missed him, Mr. Howard. seems to be a little late, so I guess it's up to me to begin. Um, when word first got out that the music program was cut and about the retirement of my husband, well, I've never seen such a response from the community. Oh, looks like my watch is fast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our governor and Kennedy High School alumnus, the most honorable Gertrude Lang. for my tardiness, and uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know, and yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. something back to you. 
To you and to your wife, who along with you has waited 30 years for what we are about to hear, if you will, would you please come up here and take this baton and lead us in the first performance ever of the American Symphony by Glenn Holland.
You know, your life matters. You have an influence on people around you. So whether you're at work, whether you're at play, wherever you are, people are watching, and you can influence people for the things of God. Amen? We need to start giving of ourselves. And when we give of ourselves, we'll have the results, just like Glenn Holland did. He gave of himself for 30 years, thought he was not doing what he wanted to do. But look at the impact that it had on the lives of people around him. Amen? Let's give the Lord some praise for that. Amen? Let's start giving of ourselves, giving of our time, our talents, and all of our substance. So get ready as we begin to shift, as we begin to start allowing God to begin to permeate and advance the kingdom of God. Leavening your houses takes giving of yourself. Praying for others takes giving of yourself. Let's begin to build what God wants us to build in the way that God wants us to build it. Amen? So in the things that we've learned in 10 years, we still really don't know a whole lot much more than when we started 10 years ago. Amen? But we want to be led by the Spirit of God because the Spirit says that He teaches us all things. Erica, will you come on up? Will you close us in prayer today? If you guys will stand up. And, uh, and we just want to remind you about the family fun day that's going to be this afternoon. Let's come and let's have some fun together and uh, just love on each other. Erica? Daddy God, I just humbly come before you and I just thank you for this awesome message and just give people a reason to live, God, and just show them what their destiny and purpose is. And I just pray that you will just help us to have fun and have, be safe at the lake. In Jesus' name, amen. Some things that God has, I believe that he has shaped and molded. There were times where I thought I was being molded into something good, and then all of a sudden, whew, I'd be squished down and then reshaped. And I thought, you know, I'm coming up, I'm doing good, and all of a sudden, whew, you know, I'd be squished down again and reshaped. And so there's some things that we've learned over the past 10 years. And, and many people believe that you have to, well, that you can't touch other people's lives. And there was a time where when I thought my call and my destiny, my plan and my purpose was to be a Christian businessman. There was a time that that's what I thought I would do. I, I would begin to see transformation as I was transformed, and I learned a little bit more about transformation of communities. I learned a little bit more about transformation of areas. I learned a little bit more about my physical transformation. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, I learned about that. So I knew that I was called to be a Christian businessman because I believed in Christ and I was able to talk to people on the phone. I talked to a lot of uh, buyers and brokers and, and that through the, through the business that I was in, the company that I worked for. But sometimes you don't realize how you touch people's lives. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Come on. You don't realize how you touch people's lives. People's lives can be touched because of you. You don't have to be specially gifted to touch people's lives. Let me say that again. You don't have to be specially gifted 
to touch people's lives. Now, you may be an accountant, and you may be in accounting. You may touch people's lives in that area, but God has given every one of us the ability to make a difference in somebody else's life. I get excited about that. I'm excited about those things that I can touch people's lives no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, that people can be affected by by my life. And sometimes we don't realize that. See, I began to... Anybody heard of the movie uh, Mr. Holland's Opus? Anybody? There's a few of us that... that this movie by Glenn... And Glenn Holland was the character in this movie. and And he wanted to conduct a symphony and wanted to be in New York City. That's what, that was his desire. That was his plan. That was his purpose. He thought that was his destiny. It was something within him from a long time. It's something that even as a child that began to begin to be nurtured within him, and he wanted to conduct, and he wanted to be in the New York Symphony, New York Harmonic Symphony in New York City. And then as this movie begins to progress, as it begins to move forward, he goes and he gets a job. Say a job. You know what a job is. A job stands for just over broke, J-O-B, just over broke. See, some of us have just jobs. Are you with me? But I want you to know that we serve a God that wants increase. Say increase. So he goes and he gets this job as a teacher. I'm not not putting down teachers or anything like that. It's a special gift. It's a special talent. You know, I, I don't operate in that teaching gift. Sometimes I pray for that teaching gift, and, and then, then some of us don't want me to pray for that teaching gift because they want me to continue to operate in the preaching gift. So he's a teacher, and he begins to start teaching students. He begins to start doing that, and I remember there's one part in the movie where he's, I mean, when the bell rings and it's over, I mean, this guy's out of school. Boom. And the principal gets a hold of him and starts talking to him about being out of school. You know, it's like, well, when you're the first one to hit, like, you know, there's a blazing trail behind you on the way out, you know, as, as when school ends. And she began to start speaking some truth to him. And he gets into this and he takes over this music program and he comes to a point where after, listen, after 30 years of being in there, the school cuts the arts program, the music program. And he's at a point where he's looking at his life and he's reflecting on his life. And he realizes that he's probably not done anything worthwhile. He's not fulfilled what he thought was important to him. He's not fulfilled that point where he went and conducted and he didn't stay in New York City. So there's a clip in this that I want us to look at. I'm going to have Marty bring this up. And I want us just to begin to look at this because I want you to know God has a way for you to affect other people's lives. And as we affect other people's lives, don't discount that you, no matter whether you're specially gifted or not gifted, if you're not gifted like I am, not gifted, you can affect other people's lives. Marty, do we, do we have that? Who, who all said they've seen the movie? Good. There's, it's, it's Mr. Holland's Opus. Who said that? Mr. Holland's Opus. And um, we're going to try to get that up. I know. Is it unlocking now? 
Meanwhile, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 because we're going to get into some things. I don't want you to get stuck into your own ego. And that's one of the things that I have learned with 10 years of ministry. We began to start pastoring Living Word Fellowship Church 10 years ago, and we began to come in and really thought to do some things that were from a religious structure and said, we're going to do this, this, and this, and began to do those things and looked back and said, wait a minute, we didn't pray, we didn't ask, we really didn't really seek God like I felt we should have sought God, made some adjustments, made some changes. It was a mess. And after two or three years, we wanted to quit. We wanted to stop. We wanted to, we felt like we weren't affecting anybody's life. We felt like there was no changes being made. That we, we felt like that we didn't want to go any farther. And then there were times where, where it, there were mountaintop experiences. And there were times where we were actually had the opportunity that we saw people's lives beginning to change. We saw people's lives that began to change, and as they began to change, we saw a difference in their walk. We saw them gather a closer relationship with God. We saw some things begin to fall off, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's bondages, whether it's anger, listen, whether it's gossip, whether it's jealousy, whatever these different things are, they began to fall off. And as these things began to fall off, we, we watched people begin to come into a true relationship with God. And I think over the past 10 years, my relationship with God <laughs> has definitely increased. Not because we've sought it, but we've got into a position where we had to. We got into a position where we had to begin to move forward. We'll just move past that, Marty, and you can get it later. Let me know. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to share with you that I feel like that will help you uh, and I, I want to just share what I've learned over the past 10 years. It, it won't be long because I, uh, I, I sometimes have to go around the mountain three or four different times to learn it. So over the past 10 years, I've only learned two or three things. One of the things is I, I, want, I want you to know is that we've got to stop doing some things. Are we, where are we at? Hang on just a second. Are we, Okay. She's going to restart it. Number one, we're going to have to stop doing some things. She can catch up me to me when we get there. And one of the things that we're going to ha- we had to stop was to stop focusing on yourself. If we're going to grow in a life of Christ, we have to stop focusing on ourselves. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the me, me, me mentality. Me, what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? But I, 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 I. What about me, 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 me? I, 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 I. What about this? I should have this and I should have that. Me, me. I want this. I want that. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. We realized we had to stop focusing on ourselves. Because when I stepped out of the business world working for a company, I realized that God was bringing around something else that I didn't really have full understanding of. All of a sudden, my dreams, my desires no longer mattered. I'm being real with you here today. They no longer mattered. All of a sudden, we had, I don't know, inherited a flock, and all of a sudden, it became about your needs. It became about your desires. It became about the things that you 
you need to be able to grow in the things of God. So the first thing we had to do is had to, to realize that we needed to stop focusing on ourselves. Do you realize that the major cause of negative thinking leads is poor mental health, leads to poor mental health, is being self-absorbed? Being self-absorbed. It's all about you. That leads to poor mental health. I have never, never seen such generous people deal with mental health issues. People that are generous don't deal with a lot of mental health issues. Are you with me? So we got to begin to stop focusing on ourselves. We have seen where psychologists now, in order to help somebody that deals with mental disorders, they're saying, why don't you get out of your house, close the door behind you, and go do something for somebody else. Go help somebody else. Because they realize that when they help somebody else, they're not being self-absorbed. They're now being involved in somebody else's life, and there is value. Somebody say value. There's value there. We have value. All of a sudden, it makes you feel good. I, I, I would drive along, and there's times where I'm being led by the Spirit of God, and I'm driving along, and guys, you know what I'm talking about. You'll see somebody pulled over, a woman pulled over on the side of the road, and the tire's flat. If you've ever fixed a flat tire, you know what I'm talking about. When you got done, and they said thank you, and they drove off, and your hands were still greasy and dirty. And I don't know where you were going, but there were times where I was even in a suit and would pull over and change somebody's tire. When I left that place, I could smile. And I had a self, a sense of self-worth. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you do, say amen. That's a self of, it's a sense of self-worth that we were able to help somebody. We were able to do some things. So we need to stop focusing on ourselves. The second thing is that we need to stop taking yourself too seriously. Stop taking yourself too seriously. I remember being set in as senior pastor, and I'm thinking, I'm the man. <laughs> I remember, and some of you were here at that time. We were at the other building, and they were working on the sound or whatever, and I was doing something and got too close to something, and the sound made it sound like I tooted. Can we say that in church? I just did. But I got over there, and it was an electronic sound. And I remember thinking, I need to turn around and tell them it wasn't me. <laughs> and I remember being over there by this plan on the... On the as you were looking at it, the left side, I guess it would be the west side of the sanctuary over there. And I went over there, and, and that made that sound, and I turned around. I know I had to have been embarrassed. I know because, you know, I'm a white boy, and when I turn red, you guys can see that I turn red. Come on, somebody. You don't take yourself too seriously, okay? We can't take ourselves too seriously. And there were times that even in the ministry, there were some times where if Shelly Shelley and I would talk about something, and, and we would come to some terms on some different things. And I was thinking, I, I'm so serious. I got to be so serious. I got to be so serious. And there was times where I needed to lighten up. Turn to your neighbor and say, lighten up. So we've got to lighten, we got to lighten up. Yes, what we're doing is important. Yeah, but we can get so serious on some things that we forget about enjoying where we are on the way to where we're going. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. 
You serious thing, you? <laughs> Praise and worship is awesome, and, and we want to enter into the presence of God. And you can minister wherever you are. The Bible says we're, whatever we do in word and deed, we do it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be able to minister the gospel of, uh, of the kingdom of God, the love of Christ, the good news of Christ. We need to be able to, to minister the hope and healing to people. God's going to use you in ways, but how many of you know there's sometimes where you just have to laugh? And there's been a time where recently I was Augustine and I were, Pastor Augustine, where we were, we were the immigration attorney in Oklahoma City and we were driving back. And I know Augustine was like, what in the world is going on? Because we're driving back, we're having this conversation and I begin to laugh. Anybody ever had the spirit of laughter come in there? I began to laugh and I looked, Augustine, Augustine, he was, he was precious. He looked at me and it was like, and I laughed some more and he looked at me and, and it was like, and then he started smiling and I kept laughing and I just kept laughing and I kept laughing and next thing you know he looked at me and he began to laugh. So we're driving down the street and we're just laughing and just laughing and just laughing. It's good to laugh, amen? Somebody needs to say it's good to laugh. And there's, there's gotta be joy. You know, there's gotta be joy and, and, and we've gotta have that joy. Sometimes I have been too serious. There's been times where I've been just so serious. Now there are times you need to be serious. There's times where there's very serious things. And when you're dealing with somebody's eternity, we can say, whew, that is a very serious thing. But, you know, as we go along, as we continue to grow, as we continue to, to, to do some things within the ministry itself, I began to start thinking about, we got, I got to stop being self-absorbed. It's not about me. It's about him. Say, it's about him. And see, it's not about you. It's about him. Are you with me? So a lot of times people come in and it's about my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs. How can I meet the needs of you through him? Are you with me? How can God use me to meet the needs, but it's really all about him? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about him. So we, we think about stop focusing on ourselves, and we think about stop taking ourselves too seriously. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and I'm just going to go into some scripture. Romans chapter 12. And I want us to look at verses 3 and 4. I may have that. Do I have those scriptures? Do you have them? Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, there is a time, there is a difference between having confidence and having no or low self-esteem. Okay? He's not talking about operating in low self-esteem. But he's talking about when you get outside of Christ, you think you can do it in and of yourself. And that's where pride comes in. But when you stay inside of Christ, inside the things of God, then you can begin to operate in confidence in God, but it's not you doing it, it's the Spirit working through you. Do you all get that? So, If you get it, say, I got it. It's the Spirit working through you. See, it's the Spirit working through you. When you come in and you talk to somebody and you minister to somebody, you want the Spirit working through you. And people...
So the majority says, no, we want a king. We want a king that will go out to battle for us. We want a king that will take and go to nations, and they'll battle for us. And God has already said, hey, he's not battling for you. You're going to be on the front line. Come on, somebody. So we begin to look at this election, and there are some things that have shifted. There are some things that have changed. But Kim Clements prophesied that the, that, the, that the president that was going to be in office, I believe it was the second year in his term, would have a visitation from God. Now, I don't know totally what President-elect Obama believes. I didn't know what totally President-elect, well, I guess it was President-candidate John McCain believed everything because you don't you just see stuff on the surface you don't really know what's in the heart but he's crossed generations he's crossed every economic and social economic plane that there is he's broadened the scope of things now i, I don't stand for and this is one of the things that you're going to see that happened so when you look at some things, things may have turned in a certain direction, but you know what? The Bible didn't change. And he still tells us to pray for those that are in authority over us. Listen, whether you like them, agree with them or not. It's easy to pray for a president that you like. The true test of the church is praying for a president they don't like. Now, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about all the presidents of the past, but I liked Jimmy Carter. Didn't know a whole lot about praying back then, but our economy sure got in a mess with him. I liked Ronald Reagan. I learned a little bit more about praying for him. You know, I'm thinking, how can this actor become a president? <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, you know, you, you think about kids and they're growing up and they're watching an old movie and Ronald Reagan's in it. And they're going, hey, he's an actor. I'm like, no, he was a president. <laughs> or that was a president. And they're like, no, no, he was an actor. So, you know, whether you liked him or disliked him really isn't the issue. God says that we're to pray for kings. And those that are in authority over us. Amen? So God said it, and that settles it. So whether you like it or not really isn't the issue. But I wanted to share something with you. Because many of us, many of us, and I want to thank all of the people that have prayed, that went to polling sites and prayed. Where is our authority, really? It's in Oklahoma, isn't it? Where is our authority really in Woodward or this region or Fort Supply or Laverne or Buffalo or Sharon or Mutual or Moreland or you're, you're, getting, you're getting what I'm after? It's in this state and it's in this region. Pastor has authority in Colorado. You may be from another, another place and that, that's where you will have authority. That's where you, the kingdom of God operates in. Are you with me? So as we look at and we understand what's taken place, there were some things that saddened my heart last night. I'll I, I'm, I'm be honest with you. I struggled with some things. 
But I also came from a raising or a background that I that I I was not biased. I had black friends when I was in high school. The, my best friends in high school were black. We I look at our our, our I look at our church, and we have people of all different. All different colors. I mean, you want to see somebody with some different colors? Just look at me real close. I got blue. I got pink. I got white. Come on, somebody. I got red. I got, I mean, I'm, I got uh, multiple kind of colors. Freckles, brown. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of colors going on in my skin. See, some of y'all got some of that nice skin that, you know, you look at and you don't see all them colors. But you can look at my skin and you can see all those colors. But I was never racist. Didn't understand about racism, didn't know a whole lot about racism, was born in upstate New York. When we moved down south, found out later that, my, that I'd have friends come over to my house, and they were, they were black friends, and, they, and they'd spend the night with me. We'd play basketball. We just did all sorts of stuff together, and we were just like two or three peas in a pod because it was two guys and, and two black guys and a white guy. It wasn't an Oreo cookie, but we just kind of hung around and did all sorts of stuff together. Are you with me? I didn't realize that our neighbors wouldn't talk to my parents because of the kids that would come over to her house. I didn't realize that until later. She wasn't, she wasn't a, a bigot. She wasn't biased. My parents weren't. Uh, that black, my black friend of mine, Benny Sims, and he, he went off to war and uh, went in the Army, and I was gone off to college and going and living my life, and he moved back to Winston-Salem and go back over and see my mom and dad, and they help him out financially. I mean, they, I mean, it was just one of those things that he was like a, a brother in our family. Benny could come in at any time, sit down at our table. He could eat. He didn't have to go and stay in a different bathroom or a different room. Come on, somebody. May, I don't know a whole lot about that, but there is one thing that I'm thankful for, that God is spanning those generations and races and bringing us together like God wants us to be brought together. He created the different colors. God's well aware of who's black and who's white and who's brown and who's yellow and who's red and who's green. <laughs> I got some green-looking veins in my hand, you know. He's well aware of that stuff, and you know what? He loves me no matter what, and he loves you no matter what. I didn't know of what the black struggle went through. I mean, I've read about Martin Luther. I've seen and, and read about JFK and, and what's taking place there. We know the, the issues that were taking place at, at that time. We know there was a real difficult time in our life. We understand the, the, maybe you don't, you understand the struggle. I moved to a city in North Carolina where it was 90% black and 10% white, and Daniel was the first time that I realized I was a minority. I didn't know what it felt like until then. Come on, somebody. I came to Oklahoma, and all y'all are Indians. <laughs> I mean, most of you got some Native American blood in you, you know? And I'm like, wow, you know? It's a whole different thing. And it wasn't India the country, brother. They're Native Americans, you know, because India's got their own country. Come on. So I've never looked at anybody through their skin. And I was disturbed that an election would come down to that. That disturbed me. So what about the economy? Where are we at now? Where are we going? There's a lot of uncertain times. 
There was uncertain times before they made that decision last night. But I want us to look at the Word of God. Now, let's get into this thing. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because this morning, as I was just thinking, meditating, I felt that this is what the Lord wanted me to give to you tonight. Say hope. We, we have got to open up the Word of God and bring forth hope, bring forth belief, bring forth faith, bring forth courage, bring forth all the things in the Word of God that are positive. You remember Sunday when we taught about having positive attitude and a positive action? Operating in that and living a victorious lifestyle. And remember, victory was what? On the inside. It's not what takes place on the outside of you, but what takes place on the inside of you. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let's start at verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Stop there just a minute. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. You look at chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and he goes into all of these different things. And just before this, he's dealing with motives. He's dealing with people's motives back in, in chapter 6, the beginning part about being able to give to the poor and about how you pray and why you pray and what's your motive behind prayer. He gives these, these different things, and he's really checking a heart. And obviously, there must have been some questions. There must have been some feedback to say that, you know, he goes into you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon or God and wealth, God and Baal. That mammon system is from the Baal structure. And he says, you can't serve. It's not about you can't have money. Come on, somebody. He says, you can't serve both. So it's where your heart is, see? And he, he talks about further on where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we've thought at that backwards because it's usually where your heart is, where your money follows. He said, no, where you put your money, your treasure is, your heart follows. Are you with me? So he's dealing with an issue and he's telling them, don't be worried about your life. If I could speak anything into your life tonight, it would be, don't worry. Say that. Don't worry. Worry is not biblical. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry. Hey, don't worry, but you don't understand how things have, I prayed and I fasted and things just didn't go my way. Don't worry. But you don't understand the economy's in such a bad situation. Don't worry. You don't understand I got all of my retirement and it's all tied up in all this stuff and it's dropped a whole bunch of points and I've lost a bunch of money. I'm here to tell you, don't worry. He said, don't worry about these things for your life. But how am I going to buy clothes? What am I going to do? What am I, could I go hungry? I, everybody's so concerned about going hungry. You're not going to go hungry. Go ahead. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? Stop there just a minute. Are you not worth? Do you know how precious you are to God? I don't think we understand that. We don't know how precious we are to God. He says, look, I take care of the birds. If you don't put bird bird food in your bird feeder, it's okay. God's going to take care of them birds. Are you with me? If you let it run out, it's still okay. God's going to take care of those birds. Are you with me? And he says, how much more precious, valuable, wonderful, fantastic. I could use a lot of synonyms to say how much God thinks about you. And you are awesome. You are wonderful. You are valuable. God loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't worry. God loves you. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just, I'm just getting excited tonight. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) Come on, man, that ought to make you feel good. I mean, when you look at it, he says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. We got to seek the kingdom. Oh, no, some of y'all are seeking the government. Some of you are seeking the stock market. Some of you might be seeking the insurance man. Some of you might be seeking the other things. But God says, seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and anything that you don't have, you don't have to worry about food because God's going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear because God's going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about what you're going to put on your table because God's going to take care of it. Amen? Come on, Amen? God's going to take care of that. I mean, that's, he's already, he is taking responsibility for that right here. I have never had to be concerned about what clothes I had. Do I like clothes? Yeah, I like clothes. God is saying, I will take responsibility for your food. I will take responsibility for your clothes. He says, man, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. What are we going to do here in four years? Four years? I'm just getting through today, brother. (laughs) What are we going to do about tomorrow? What are we going to do about next week? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he's going to direct your path. Are you going to eat tomorrow? Are you going to be able to eat tomorrow? I'm going to eat tomorrow. If I don't eat tomorrow, I had not eaten in a few days. You know what I mean? It's not going to make a big deal if I go a day or two without some food. Come on, somebody. But I'm going to eat tomorrow. God's going to clothe you. He's going to take care of you. Turn over with me. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. 
real quickly. We'll just touch base on this because I want I want you to see. And a lot of times, look in the eighties, I got I made it. Y'all know I'm here, right? I made it. I made it in the eighties. It was a difficult time. I remember going out and buying my first home. It was a mobile home, and and y'all know what I paid interest rate fourteen <laughs> percent. Now you'd be going, what? 14%? Are you kidding me? Don't be buying that thing. I've taught you so much that 14% now alarms you when it's an interest rate if you're paying it. Now, if you're receiving it, it's not too bad. 14%. Man, it was 18% on some interest and some loans. I mean, it just, just got high. My mom got a hold of a CD, and it was paying 15%. And after the markets and everything went back down and stabilized, they were only giving 5 or 6 or 8%. That bank called her up every month saying, you sure you don't want to cash this in? You sure you don't want to cash this in? Because she was getting 15% on that baby. And she was like, no, I'll leave it out. And I'll leave it out there. It had no end to it. That was the last time. They changed that. You know, them bankers are smart. They change that stuff. So it all works out in their favor. Come on, are you with me? But how many of you know if you got the favor of God, that's what you need? Amen. Say, I got favor. You got favor. I mean, you got the favor of God. That's what you need. Luke chapter 12. Let's read 22 through 32. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lily, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? Do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He says, do not seek what you can eat and what you drink. Don't keep worrying. Don't keep worrying about those things. You can be concerned. We have to have wisdom. We have to have revelation. But, but I said, you know what? In eight years, there's going to be a different president. Could be a different president in four years. I don't know. Are you with me? And, and some people are so concerned about who's going to be president. Who's president? Who's going to be president? Man, who's going to be president? Oh, man, you know, what about president? I mean, you know, it could be Clinton and she's a lady and we can't have a lady and be a president. I was like, no matter me. I want a president that will stand up on biblical values. That's what I'm after. But if it's a man or a woman, if he's black, if he's white, if he's Latino, it doesn't matter to me. Come on, somebody. If you'll stand up on the word of God and these are our values. So I want you to know that there is good news. Turn to your name and say there's good news. I'm going to tell you some good news that maybe the, the news didn't tell you about. I got, this, I got this email, and it said there was some good news for those who support traditional marriage. Shelley touched on this. This is what's happened. This is where we're at. We are coming back to Judeo-Christian values so much that we have to legislate it. Trust me, when they put together 
the Constitution of the United States, our forefathers never thought they would have to define marriage. See, marriage wasn't defined in our Constitution because God had already defined marriage, and it was this Constitution. Come on, somebody. So check this out. It says, in the states of Arizona, Florida, and California, voters said no to homosexual marriage. In fact, the Sunshine State, 60% of the vote was needed to keep marriage only between one man and one woman. It says, we won in Arizona too. This is significant because of a couple years ago, the marriage amendment was defeated when pro-homosexual marriage advocates played the fear card with senior citizens. Finally, California, they got liberal judges that are trying to, instead of just hold up the law, they're rewriting the law and legislating the law themselves, and that's not their job. That's not their job. There's legislators. We send people to Senate and to the House in order to legislate those things, and then the judges are supposed to enforce those laws that we put in place. Come on, somebody. It says, it says in California, when they, when they uh, had same-sex marriage, the Supreme Court, uh, it was an eight, oh, excuse me. In California, our largest and most liberal state, the citizens voted 52 to 48 to overturn the state Supreme Court's decision to allow same-sex marriage. This is big news. Come on, somebody. Radical homosexual groups, Hollywood celebrities, and liberal media came together, tried to defeat Proposition 8, yet pro-family, pro-marriage citizens of California grouped together and won a huge victory and, I might add, put the arrogant California Supreme Court in its place. Let's give the Lord some praise for that. God said it's very clear to be fruitful and multiply. And there are so many different scriptures in the Word of God that, that it is, goes against everything that God is to have homosexual marriage. God did not ordain it. He didn't, he didn't set it forth. He didn't bring it forth. He did not make those people that way. It's a choice of a lifestyle. Some people that are black, they can't choose to be black. Come on, somebody. I didn't have a choice of whether I was going to be white or Hispanic or green or pink or anything else that I am. I didn't, I didn't have that choice. I didn't choose where I was going to be born. You know, when, we went to, when I went to Africa, it was like these people, they, they didn't choose to be born here. Check this out. So despite some discouraging news on the national front, 30 states, say 30, 30 states have adopted state constitutional amendment preserving traditional marriage since the legislation of same-sex marriage in Massachusetts. I think that's good news. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. That is good news. The state of Oklahoma passed that overwhelmingly. I think we were at 62 or 68 percent. It was pretty, pretty overwhelming that when that we brought, they brought it up. Remember a few years ago when we had to vote on this issue? And it was overwhelmingly defined between a man and a woman. Now, what about the state of Oklahoma? Things have shifted. Things have changed. There is good news because of the state of Oklahoma. Do you realize? Now, I'm not going to talk about any particular party. I'm going to talk about conservatives and liberals. Can I do that? 
Because there are some people that are conservatives and liberals in both parties. All right? So it's not, I should say both parties. I don't want to leave out the independent party. So those of you that are independent voters, please don't write me. Okay? So there are liberal and conservative people in all of the parties. Are you with me? Is that better? So I want to deal with those because I'm a conservative. I'm proud to be a conservative. I I stand on moral values of the Word of God. Anything that goes against it contradicts the Word of God. I'm not standing for I'm not going to do it. All right? So Oklahoma itself, last year, there was there, we have made really great strides in abortion. Um, there will be no more legal funded state, state funded abortions in the state of Oklahoma. Come on. Hallelujah. See, we've already defined marriage where it's supposed to be. Okay? So we're beginning to see some things change. Now, in the Senate itself, this is the first year in the history of the United States that the Senate, I'm going to use the Senate and the House, have shifted to a conservative position. First time in statehood, 100 years. Come on, somebody, that ought to make you feel good. So you could have a liberal governor or a liberal lieutenant governor, but it's got to come through the Senate and the House. Come on, somebody. So you could, you know, and if the Senate and the House are divided, and we know about a house divided against itself cannot stand, there is going to be unity first most in our state's legislature this coming session. And that's good news. Turn your neighbors and that's good news. I mean, you've got to tell, you've got to let people know. So wait a minute. Don't, don't be the doom and gloom. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Chicken little run around. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. You're going to get through it. Oh, no, you didn't hear me tonight. I said you're going to get through it. Amen? Yeah, I believe, I believe you are the righteousness of the Lord, and you're going to make it. And you know what? God needs you to tell others that they're going to make it. Don't jump in the boat and the bandwagon and everybody get in. Row, row, row your boat. How we're going down the stream over the cliff. Now, come on, get in the boat. Row, row, row your boat. Merrily down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. You know, you can jump in the boat. And, well, row, row, row your boat. It's so difficult time. I don't know. I'm going to survive. I don't know. I'm going to survive. You know, I mean, we're not going there. If you're going to be coming in here and you're going to be hearing me preach, I'm not going there. Come on, somebody. Because the Bible tells me that the government is on his shoulders. And to, there will be no end to the increase of his government. It's in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 6 and 7. Look it up for yourself. See, there's, there will be no end to the increase of his government. Come on, somebody. Anytime the church has been persecuted throughout history, it grew. All I know is if President-elect Obama begins to start coming against and start passing laws that's going to affect the kingdom of God and the church in a negative light, look out, devil, because the church is going to grow. 
Oh, come on. You hear me? The church is going to grow. It is going to advance. Every time the church went through persecution, every time things got difficult, it like, it grew. All of a sudden it grew. I mean, you look at it in China. It's the underground church. What is it doing? It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. Don't come up from underground. They're not really underground in caves and all that stuff. There's, you know, I don't want you to think that, but they're, they're, they're meeting secretly. The government knows they're there. And some of them, they're trying to get legal just so they can come on underneath the government, and the underground churches are going, "Uh uh-uh, we're not siding with your government because the government is upon his shoulders. Amen? So they're underground churches, and and they're saying, you know what, every time they persecute us, every time they kill one, any time a saint is martyred, you better watch out because God gets a taste of that. He gets a little whiff in his nostril, and he says, "Uh uh-oh, that's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen, and the church begins to advance. I said, the church begins to advance. I said, the church begins to advance. I said, hey, the church begins to advance. So it's a church of God that's going to advance. It's, it's going to advance. We're going we're gonna to advance, so get ready. See, we got to be good stewards of what we got. I want to share this with you, and I'm done. I've closed two or three times already, so this is the last closing. In 1994, 19, I'm sorry, 2004, we gave you a mandate, and it was to get out of debt. Some of you may not were here. I'm giving you that mandate now. Get out of debt. Start putting some cash back. As this market fluctuates and moves up and down, all of a sudden now we, we listened to Cindy Jacobs today and, and a prophetic word that she was given forth, and they're going to be starting to come out. And you're going to say, whoa, the prophets are really after getting out of debt. Prophets are after getting out of debt. The prophets are after getting out of debt. Prophets want you, they want, they're, they're prophesying, you better get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt, get some liquid cash, get some things, get yourself in a position to where you can be victorious. He says, if you're faithful with a little, I'll make you ruler over much. 2004, we put a war against debt, a seven-year war. We're not done yet. So get ready because we're going to come back after that. We're going to continue to attack the lack. Are you with me? We're going to, we're going to teach you strategies. We're going to teach you ways in order to be able to, to, to be economically good stewards of the things that are coming through your hands. And he says if you're faithful with little, you can be ruler over much. Are you with me? So wherever you are, Begin to start putting a plan together. I'm going to say it this way. Plan your work and work your plan. Plan your debt deliverance, then work it. You can make adjustments as you go because things may flow in, things may flow out. There may be some unforeseen things that take place. But I'm telling you, be one in position to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. What is it? Is it Matthew chapter 7? Look at Matthew 7, Eli, if you can put me up, 724, I think it is. This was after chapter 6, and Jesus was continuing on with, the, with his dissertation on the, the Mount of Olives. 
And verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them You hear the words of Jesus, and you act on it. It's not just for you to hear, not to do anything with. So you've got a choice tonight. You can begin to start putting a plan together to get out of debt and act on it. And what's it say? It says, if therefore, if anyone hears the words of mine and acts on them, they may be compared to the man who built his house upon the rock. I want you to hear the word of the Lord in this upcoming season, whether that season is a year, two years, four years, but I want you to hear the word of the Lord and do something with it. And he says, if you will do that, you will be compared to a man that has his house on the rock. I want to be compared to the man that has a house on the rock. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that when storms blow, that Jesus turns to the Father and says, look at Desiree. And God says, yeah. And Jesus says, do you remember when I gave that sermon on the Mount, Dad, and I told them about the man with the house on the rock? And he says, yeah, that looks like Desiree, don't it? Storms are blowing, but she's still standing. She's heard the word, and she's acting on it. And the word in this season is to get out of debt. There's We we shredded some bills Sunday. Once a month, the very beginning of the month, we will will visit the shrednator, and you come and you shred your bills after you pay them off. And you make a copy of it and shred it. I want you to bring the original. And then they, they say, well, could you show me that bill? Oh, no, I shredded it at church. We want to get out of debt. Remember, we've been talking about get out of debt. Our needs are met. I got plenty more to put in store. We're, 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 going to, we're not going to give up on this deal on debt. We're not giving up on this deal on debt. I don't, I, Jimmy, I want to get an update on it. But Sunday, Sunday, we shredded bills. We're all together. There was, there was over a million two hundred thousand dollars shred Sunday. People are getting out of debt. And I want you to start credit cards, finance companies, personal loans like that. Start with that. Start knocking those things out. Go there. Tell them, don't call me no more. Take me off your mailing list because it it never fails that that you'll get something in the mail. Credit card, 0% interest, and it'll be a time you're looking at your bills and you're thinking, how am I going to make it? And all of a sudden, you'll go to the mailbox, and there'll be a credit card deal with a low interest rate, and you go, praise God. It's not God. Praise God, I was just praying and just trying to figure out how to get out of this debt. Now the finance company just sent me something, and they're willing to give me $250 more. Woohoo! that's exactly what I needed. 250 at 40% interest. Say, I'm out of debt, my needs are met, and I've got plenty more to put in store. I want you to be compared to a man that built his house upon the rock. I need, God needs you. You. Each and every one of you here tonight, you're here for a reason. 
God needs you that when the naysayers come and say, what are you going to do, brother? What are we going to do? Oh, man, you know, it's just difficult, man. Things are bad. I need you to say, hey, you know what? We got through it before. We'll get through it again. Hey, you know what? I was around, and some of you might even be able to say you was around in the 30s. But you know what? You should say, hey, I was around in the 30s when it was when it seemed like a whole lot worse than it was now. And, and people made do with what they, you know, just about anything, didn't they? They made it. They made it. They hung in there, and they made it. And you're going to make it. You, no, no, you hear me. You're going to make it. We're going to get through it. It may get difficult at times, but no, no, we're going to be wise, and we're going to have revelation, and God's given words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and that words of knowledge that are coming forth is saying, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to work my finances. I'm going to get to a position. Some people may have to do some different things. You know that extra car you got? You might just need to sell that thing and put it on some debt. You don't need four cars with only two drivers. Come on, somebody. If you've got extra debt, now if you've got four cars and two drivers and no debt, go ahead. Give it to somebody else and let it be a seed amen and and let them let let god just begin to move in you make an impact on your life but the word of knowledge the word of wisdom is coming forth it's getting out of debt getting out of debt and people are going to go wow and you're going to say we've been working on that since 2004 we're getting closer we're getting closer all right stand to your feet tonight i want you to know that